Hi there, and welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. My name is Patrick Franci, and I'm the CEO of the Real Estate Investment Network. In addition to being a business owner, I'm also a real estate investor, I'm a coach, I'm a husband, I'm a very proud grandfather. And along with that, I'm also committed to stretching beyond what I've already achieved and of living a fulfilled life by continuing to make a positive difference in the world. I invite you to join me to listen in on the Everyday Millionaire podcast as I interview and have conversations with seemingly ordinary individuals who have achieved some pretty extraordinary results, whether it be in their life, in their business, in real estate. And it's here where I'm going to delve into the details of their journey, along with the paths they've traveled to get where they are today, and as importantly, where they intend to go in the future. My guests are here to inspire. They're here to help you learn by talking about what's real for them, both in their wins and in their challenges, from the life and the lifestyle they live to the person they had to become along the way in creating and building their financial futures for themselves and their families. Before I begin this episode, I'll start by first thanking you for listening in and for your support and the feedback you provide us on the show, as well as to ask you to please continue to send your comments, your suggestions, or your questions directly to me at CEO at RainCanada.com. That is CEO at R-E-I-N-Canada.com. And if you're inclined, please share this podcast with your friends or your family and with people you know or perhaps even people you don't know. Rate the show and comment on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or whatever platform you happen to use to listen in. And while you're at it, please follow me on the Everyday Millionaire Facebook page. So thanks again for the feedback you provide us. It's definitely appreciated. Okay, let's get on with this show and have a conversation with today's guest. Natasha Figali is a young lady who is an award-winning Canadian and has been recognized for her philanthropy in community and her strong dedication to education. She's been the recipient of the 40 Under 40 United Leadership Windsor Award in 2018, as well as numerous other awards and recognitions, most notably the Sovereign Canadian Medal in 2015 for her dedication to education and the future of entrepreneurship and youth. She is an international educator working overseas throughout her career while giving workshops, seminars, and conferences both nationally and internationally. She's taught in China, in France, Kuwait, and a lot in Ontario. Now, in between all of her travels and sharing of lessons, Natasha has been successful investing in real estate with a focused plan in creating a very secure financial future. Aside from her philanthropy and world travels, Natasha is not shy about sharing her passion, if you would, for spending money, which is something she loves to do. And real estate is just one of the ways that Natasha funds many of her passions. Listen in, enjoy. Welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. So great to have you on the show. So great to meet you. It's my absolute pleasure, Patrick. And happy St. Patty's Day. Yeah, happy St. Patrick's Day. We're recording this on St. Patrick's Day. I came across you. I was so impressed with your bio. And uh, we connected. And I wanted to share part of your story. And, uh, you know, I know we're limited for time. You're a busy lady. So let's talk about and start by giving the audience, our listeners, my listeners, some insights into who Natasha is. So, you know, kind of my standard opening question is if you're, uh, what's your elevator pitch? If somebody walks up and says, hey, Natasha, uh, what do you do? What's your quick answer to that? I am an educator by trade and I've worked globally in education and I'm also an investor since 2015. I've been investing in housing and I've done, I've done it all. Burrs, refinance, uh, take it down to the studs. I just recently did what I would call a wholesale to myself. And I also manage properties as well as I do videos for new landlords, new and say um, senior landlords, just because we're moving into a totally different world with a totally different generation of renters. And so I make videos for them, like for landlords as well. Holy cow, you cover a lot of ground. Now, let's, <laughs> you know, you know, you're a young lady, so you've accomplished a lot of things. And uh, of course, 
within the Everyday Millionaire podcast. It's always about you know seemingly ordinary individuals who achieve extraordinary things, and uh, you got a lot going on. So let's kind of un- start to unpack some of your story. And I'd like to start in terms of right now, just in the in the scope of education. You know, where what's your background, or what's the background of education that you? Uh, provide and kind of give me a little bit of your story around the education, how you got there and what it is you're doing. Well, actually, you know, Patrick, with educators, it's a family business. eh? So I come from a long line of educators in my family, and it just seemed like the natural thing to do, uh, as well as I am kind of a polyglot. So I speak a few languages and, and my parents really guided me. They said, you know, with the type of person that you are, the type of lifestyle that you like to have. And and I'll circle back to that later. We suggest that, you know, education would be a a good, a good step for you. And I'm very creative. So it's really an outlet for someone who is creative because children need all types of people so that they see themselves in, in, in the people stand literally standing in front of them. Sure. So born and raised where? Let's start there. I was born and raised in Windsor, Ontario. Yeah. My profession has taken me to 37 countries. My parents are immigrants to Canada. Dad came from Lebanon and my mom is from Croatia. So Mm. one of those mixes that really only (laughs) happens here, you know? So now were they, when they immigrated to Canada, did they, did they go into the teaching world? Was that their background as well? Uh, my mom is actually a teacher. Mm-hmm. So my mother is a teacher. My father uh, retired from Chrysler's, but my father is also an investor. So I was also born into that business as well. So it's interesting because it's not as common for teachers to have that same or to have an, an, entrepreneur, an entrepreneurial spirit alongside. Like it, it's not that it's not, it's just it, they, they don't seem always to go hand in hand. Not that they never do, but you really took on teaching in a big way. And, but you also really took on being that entrepreneur. So you, but you come by it honestly, you kind of have that split of parents who do both. So that's, that's very, very interesting. So what kind of things were you teaching? What kind of age groups were you at? Give me a little bit of you, because you traveled the, you know, you traveled the world kind of teaching. What, what kind of stuff were you doing? So I started my profession in French and I, I taught French for most of my career. And that took me to France. I lived in France. And uh, that also took me across Canada, I would say. Mm-hmm. Then from that, I moved into ESL, so English Second Language, and that took me to the Middle East. So I taught in the Middle East in Kuwait for two years, and I've been basically doing the rest of now, the rest of my career as well in English Second Language. That also took me to China, and I do do some consulting with some private academies in China. So I I still do work with... sort of like a studio, English second language studio in Chengdu. Mm -hmm. And I'm looking at potentially going back abroad. You know, I always say my tour of duty. So maybe I'm looking at potentially going abroad for another year. I I have some ideas. One of them is investing. So we'll see. I don't know, Patrick. You know, every day I have a new idea. Well, you know, that's great. So that's that creative side of you. Yes. Now, you said your dad was an investor. Was he uh, it, it was he an overall investor, stocks, bonds and real estate or real estate specific? I know that you've got a, your background, you know, that you're doing lots of stuff in real estate as you opened with. Uh, was your dad back in real estate or was what was he investing in? So both my parents were in it, are in investing. They also were born into it. My dad in Lebanon, my family had quite a bit of property from, you know, mixed use to housing. Then they, they're, of course, you know, in the uh, late 70s, early 80s, there was the war. So my father immigrated to Canada. When he got here, ironically, met my mom right away. My grandparents and my mom were in investing also, like huge, massive portfolio. Mm-hmm. A lot of newcomers to Canada you know, back in the uh, late 50s, I would say even 50s, 60s, 70s, whenever, 
I would say that a lot of newcomers, you know, investing was something that they could get into easily. So my family did, because really you just had to know how to get the property, get the mortgage and then get the tenants, Mm -hmm. you know, it was kind of simple. At least back then it was. So both my parents then from there inherited properties from my grandparents, the ones overseas, uh, after time they were sold and, and so forth, you know, just pending to the political climate. And so my parents here inherited uh, multiple single families, duplex, and, and a few um, fourplexes. I call them quads. Mm-hmm. But um, sure. so they did that for a long time. And, and my father just last year sold the last fourplex that we had. But I got into it on my own. And now my siblings are also looking to get into it. So we kind of have been. I wouldn't even say groomed. We we're kind of born into it. My parents never really wanted us to do that. They always wanted us to be professionals. But I really, I like it because you can also be creative in it. So, and which you've been. Now, certainly with the pandemic and with COVID, it sounds like you've kind of pivoted to to kind of step into the market and provide a service that you're, you're, you're creating that, oh, there's a gap here. What can I do to fill the gap? And in this case, it's supporting uh, rental housing providers in, you know, getting in marketing their properties. And you're doing that through video. Is that what I'm hearing? Well, basically, I make videos. Uh, I notice that there's a lot of people entering the market. We have a lot of young and new investors, which is amazing. As we say in Arabic, mashallah. But um, one area that they're not familiar with is that investing is not just this business you just jump into and you're like, okay, I'm going to have tenants and it's all going to be awesome. Actually, quite to the contrary, mm-hmm. you need to know, especially here in Ontario, you need to know the act. You need to know what you're doing. You need to have people literally on payroll, such mm-hmm. as a paralegal and you need mentors. Mm-hmm. So my videos are just quick one minute, you know, synopsis of, all right, well, if you have tenants, do this, don't do that. Mm-hmm. Try this. Don't try that. Mm-hmm. In you know, so basically giving them nuggets of knowledge in order to run their career better, because say you buy your first duplex, you don't know what you're doing, you know, tenants and rightfully so they know their rights and you might fa- find yourself on hard times. And the last thing you want to do is foreclose or lose your property because rents aren't coming in. There's an issue with the tenant and, you know, it just becomes a huge catastrophe. So you've got some background in property management as well. You've got your own portfolio. Um, What have you been learning along the way since, uh, you know, COVID, the the shutdown and reopenings and all of the things that are happening, the change in landlord tenant kind of rules or regs given, and particularly in Ontario, British Columbia, not as bad, not quite as bad. Uh, Alberta, not quite as bad. Ontario, definitely uh, that created some hurdles for many landlords. So what was your, what's your experience been with it personally, given what you've got going on? How did you fare through it all? Well, Patrick, I spent all of 2020 in court, Mm. the entire year in court. I signed up for, for a program that I believe as a Canadian and as a proud Canadian, we have to help others. However, unfortunately I was on the losing end of that situation. Mm. What I've learned is that business is business. And at the end of the day, I'm running a business. Oh, not being naive. And I've been in it a long time. And as I said, I was, I was born kind of into it. I know that we need to help others. However, we need to do our due diligence. There never is a point where you're not doing your due diligence. I'm a very hands-on landlord. And I also have my parents involved, mainly my mom. She's, she's like really, re- really involved with, with what I'm doing. And right now we're moving into a very different era. Unfortunately, one of the negative sides of it is a lack of responsibility and a lack of duty. And I've noticed that with the positives, 
the negatives are outweighing the positives. Mm. So the positives are, you know, people can stick up for themselves. You know, they're, they're more able to ask for the things that they want. And, you know, relationships can become more friendly and polite, not personable, but friendly and polite. However, with those demands also comes other demands such as what could be perceived as, um, threats and maybe extortion. And I think we're seeing a lot of that in Ontario. Yeah. So am am I hearing you, you know, there's stories of what we would call professional tenants out there, but ultimately tenants who are leveraging the kind of the rules and regs to their advantage and uh, really making it difficult for uh, the investors, for the, you know, rental housing providers. So what you're saying is, is that you have compassion for some of the challenges that your tenants may face in the job market, but then they cross a line where, you know, holy, you know, hold on here, this is no longer reasonable. So you're seeing that kind of shift. And I mean, certainly I go back yeah. to Ontario again, is that, you know, in Ontario, there was all sorts of initiatives about why should we pay rent and we need this break and don't pay rent. And there's all sorts of things coming along. In your case, what you, it sounds like you've discovered is that, in the due diligence or in the diligence you're doing is really about making sure that you're screening your tenants impeccably and uh, that you're having great, great tenants to screen, double screen, yeah. triple screen. If you're not sure, yeah. listen, you would never buy a Maserati and just give the keys to anyone. Mm-hmm. Now we're buying homes, especially in Ontario, mm-hmm. like half a million dollars for a duplex. It's not a joke. Leave it empty if you want. Mm-hmm. Leave it empty, refinance it mm-hmm. if you can't find anyone mm-hmm. and just leave it empty and let the let it pay for itself off the refinance until you can find the right tenant because what's happening is people and a lot of landlords, especially a lot of young landlords, there's a big push right now on this is a money machine, you know, you know, you're just filling your pockets, cash flow, cash flow, cash flow. Well, it depends what lane you're going to use, but if you're choosing the lane to house tenants, Now you're in the people business. Mm -hmm. So you need to know people. You need to know the laws. You need to have emotional intelligence and you you need to understand, you know, what step you're going to be on because it's not, it's not easy. It's not very easy when the the courts are in favor of the tenant. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, even you might have an excellent case and, you know, Patrick, my case was out of this world. However, I still went to court three times, mm-hmm. all bite it being a very dangerous and violent situation. Mm. So we really need to ha- do our due diligence. So we get that. I mean, certainly within the Real Estate Investment Network, that's part of what we teach and we drive home. I'm interested in this is that, you know, you're you're talking about uh, a younger, you know, you're, you're young and uh, energetic and you've got a great background and you know you kind of grew into it as you as you said what you shared was that you're seeing other young people get into the game and let you know uh, are we talking millennial what are you seeing on the street you're in it i mean we're in it we see you know we have many members of the rain community you know who appreciate the coaching we provide and and so they're coming in and getting supported what are you seeing in terms of uh how that kind of category that age group that you align with so well uh, what are you hearing from them and what are you seeing So what I've noticed, especially in Windsor, Ontario, where I am, which has been really hot for the last few years, what I've seen is a lot of, uh, a lot of, you know, everyday people, uh, as you said, wanting to get into real estate, getting in, inheriting tenants, and then finding themselves in court. Mm. Mentorship is key. Mentorship is crucial. And, you know, it, it is an awesome business to get into. And there's a lot of pros. However, I think that they, when getting in, you do need a small cushion in your bank account in case of anything that could go wrong. And I know what I've noticed is there's this very big messaging around, you know, you can make a lot of money, you can flip the houses, you can do this, you can do that. And then I get the calls. I get the direct messages. I'm in trouble. Do you know a paralegal? The tenant won't take cash for keys. They signed on an N11. They said, I'm coercing them. So it's almost like, you know, I I think that there's a lot of messaging around, you can make money, you can flip properties, et cetera, but there isn't enough messaging around 
the things that can possibly happen to you that would, you know, hold you back from being very successful. And that's why I make my videos. And I always say, you need a mentor, learn about what you're doing before even doing it. Take a few months and learn about what you're doing. Watch the videos, listen to the podcasts before jumping in. Don't just jump in blindly. Mm -hmm. Aside from some of the, the single family or that, you know, residential real estate that you own, you, you also do some storage unit stuff. Is that what I'm understanding uh, in this as well, Natasha? Yes, actually, this is uh, something that I, 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 I was never, I never did before. However, one of my mentors does it. And so now whenever I buy a property, I always buy property with garages that are detached from the home. Mm. And they're they're detached from the home. I put the garages on a separate lease and I lease out my garages as a storage. And then whoever's leasing the property, you know, on in their lease, it's it's made, you know, it's made known that there is no garage access, you know, the garage is not available for you, et cetera, et cetera. And I do all that with my with my paralegal. But I always run, I always get properties that I can really maximize profits on. And one of them is having a detached garage because then I can turn around and rent that garage. And as well as the garage falls under my insurance plan. Mm -hmm. So it's like a win-win situation. So is your portfolio primarily based in, uh, in Windsor, Natasha? My portfolio is, and it's been a big dream of mine to now invest outside of Ontario. And I am working to start in the US. Actually, I'm working with one of the banks and I have a mentor that I, I watch just on, on the videos from learning from investors. And I reached out and I said, can you help me? It's a big dream of mine to invest in the Midwest. I'm very close to Ohio. Uh, so I, I'd like to, to move, move some, some of the portfolio there and, and acquire property in the United States. It's been a big dream of mine. So I'm working on that. And then Going forward, a long-term one is I'd like to move out of Ontario, and there are some markets in Canada that have been up and coming. So I'm starting to learn more and more about those about those markets as well to potentially move in move into other provinces. Yeah, you know, and within the rain community, we're you know as we do our research, we're looking and we're also seeing that when it, where many uh, members of the community are actually taking capital off the table in Ontario because the market has been hot. They've been in there for a while. They're actually taking profits and then re kind of divesting of those profits into other profits, primarily uh, Alberta because of the price points in there and the, you know, the future growth that people are starting to see rents coming up, that kind of thing, as well as a little bit of the British Columbia. Although in most of BC, it's really tough because those prices have escalated uh, significantly as well over the past several months. So, uh, you know, we're definitely seeing people coming out of Ontario because it's it's more challenging. It's not that the cash flow doesn't exist in Ontario because it definitely does when you know what you're doing and where you're looking. But ultimately, mm -hmm. uh, we're seeing a propensity to have investors do that. Now, in your background, they talk a lot about, and I'm hearing it kind of as you're speaking, but they're, you're Philanthropy is something that's been important to you. And tell me a little bit about that philanthropic side of what you do and uh, why you do it. Well, you know, Patrick, because we invest in, in our community in Windsor, Ontario, and it's a, it's a small city, there's only about 300,000 people. So I take around 10%, anywhere from five to 10% a month of my profit and I give it to charitable donations in the city. Uh, either we look for who is in need or, or they contact us. And it's been really important because I'd like to have that presence in the community to show that we are uh, reputable and that we do give back. And I feel that tenants have feel a sense of pride to know that they're living somewhere where they're making a difference. Mm -hmm. And I feel that it's so very important to invest in the community we are business owners here and we generate our income here. So it's important to give back and to show that we are giving back. And I, I've heard from other tenants who have seen that, you know, we feel a sense of pride. We feel a sense almost that, you know, of ownership, that we're doing something positive to make an impact in the community. And especially now during COVID, 
I had tons of tenants that lost their jobs. I, I would say about maybe 40% mm-hmm. that lost their jobs. And some of them had to rely on those food banks on the United Way. So it's, it's really nice to know that we, we, we give back. You know, when you look at what you've got, I mean, you're, you're, you're driven, you've won 40 under 40 awards, you've, you've, you've been a contribution, you take on leadership, you, you know, contribution seems to be big in in your charitable philanthropic side of things as well. But when you look at who you are and what you do, what, what kind of fires you up in the morning? I, I get the, the creativity and, but is, do you, are you clear on a, do you have a purpose? Like, are you, are you one of those individuals who goes, I know my purpose. I know exactly what I'm here, what I'm doing and how I'm moving forward. Are you built that way? I am like the hummingbird. Some days I'm very clear today. I'm going to find my next wholesale. Other days I feel like, okay, I'm going to try a little bit of this and try a little bit of that. I always know the direction I'm moving in, which is freedom, working if I choose or not. Mm-hmm. I always know that I want to grow the portfolio. Can I say that I'm fixated on one goal? It changes. The goal changes. Because mm-hmm. I had a goal that I've been watching, you know, a lot of investors do wholesaling. I thought, okay, let me see if I can do that. Let me put this to work and see. Now, I'd like to move into the American market. That could take a week. That could take six months. That could take a year. So it's almost like I have small measurable goals, but they change all the time. So the entrepreneurial side of you, you know, you come by by it honestly with your, you come by your entrepreneurial spirit, if you will, from your parents. And do you spend a lot of time to your parents? Like, did they nurture? And, you know, I often say it's nature or is it nurture? You had mentioned that your parents kind of said, you know, we want you to grow up in the professional, go to school, get an education because they've got that background as well. Um, how were they in terms of supporting you in your entrepreneurship? It sounds like your mom's still remains very part, a big part of what you do. And, and, and so it, are your parents actually part of that whole mentorship and have they supported you along the way in regards to being an entrepreneur? It's funny, Patrick, that you asked me. My parents are kind of like the old school very, um, the old guard landlords. So they have some ideas that you can no longer use. Especially last year when I was in court, my yeah. dad had some ideas. I said, where'd you get those ideas? Dad goes, well, that's what we used to do. So I go, well, we're not doing that anymore. Yeah. My parents are very helpful. They are very supportive. And actually my mom was my first private lender. She lent me my first, my first down payment for mm. my mortgage and it was a loan and she made it very clear that it was a loan and I mm. had to pay her back. Yeah, yeah. So they're, they're very supportive. I would say my nature is also because my, my grandparents, my maternal grandparents were also entrepreneurs. So I would say it's in my, it's in my, my nature and they nurture it by allowing me, but they also allow me to make mistakes. Mm -hmm. They told me last year, they said, do not rent to this person. Do not sign up for this. And I said, no, 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 no. I I really want to do this. I think it's a great program and I really want to help. And my parents were like, do not do this. And they let me completely fail, completely sink my own ship. So they're, they're, they're lovely in, in that way. And they try to always embrace what I'm doing and they support me and they do, they do help me. They do help me. I would say that they are helpful. And of course I have a team of people that, you know, I contract to do everything, but I'm lucky because my parents are always available to watch and see what's going on. So it is a bit of nature and a bit of nurture, but I have four other siblings who are not that interested. They're, they're mainly professionals, except my youngest brother now is starting to say, I want to learn, mm-hmm. teach me. I want to buy my first property. So if you're giving guidance to, you know, younger investors, you know, you're talking about education, you're talking about mentorship, you're talking about guidance, making sure that you have the knowledge before you're jumping in. In the world of rain, that's what we've done for 29 years. So we get all of that, treating your real estate, investing like a business, all of that. 
But we also see where sometimes the lack of confidence, perhaps, or the fear mm -hmm. gets in the way. Mm -hmm. If you're giving guidance to other young real estate investors or young individuals who are young people who are considering uh, investing in real estate, from your perspective, what, what kind of guidance would you give them? What kind of heads up would you give them based on what you've experienced so far? I would say hit the ground running. So start learning. While you're learning, start seeing where you can get a mortgage and just go for it. Don't hold yourself back once you know what you're going to do. And just start, start very small. Just start really, really small. Once you've learned and you know what you're going to do and you, you understand not, you know, like, like me, I always joke when I went for my first mortgage, my parents, you know, I brought, I did, I did bring them with me, but they were like, you have to figure this out. I didn't know what prime was. Mm -hmm. I, I was like, Oh, is that a steak? I'm not sure. <laughs> you know? So <laughs> I say, don't, don't be like me because that, you know, that was like six, seven years ago now. However, learn. It's so easy. Take a half hour a day. You can watch four videos. That's how I came across you, Patrick. Mm -hmm. From there, you'll find out what certain things are. Get yourself prepared. Maybe, you know, read a book or so and then go for it. And don't hold back because even me on this last deal that I put together, it took me over two weeks just to sign that I accept and that I, I can move forward even though everything was perfect, you couldn't ask for a more perfect deal. And then I even put on it, I gave myself a three week condition because I was petrified. I was petrified. And who does that? Most people lift conditions in five, seven days or no conditions. I put three weeks and the, the gentleman still said yes. And I was still petrified. Mm. So, you know, there's always that element of fear and failure which is something as well that I think that my generation struggles with is failure. However, once you have a base, it can even be a little bit shaky. Just so as much as you know what people are talking about, I would say, just go for it. Just go for it. And, you know, there's going to be roadblocks as long, as long as they're not massive ones. But in that case, don't even, don't even move on a deal where you'll, where you'll know there's going to be massive, massive roadblocks. There will be another one coming. Well, I think that's, you know, that's, of course, what really develops us as real estate investors and as business owners is, is the challenges that we have to get through. That's what defines us, that what sets us up to learn and to grow and to take on what's next. You know, there is a, a phrase I often use, however, which is, you know, you can learn how to swim on YouTube uh, because there's lots of, you know, videos on how to swim, but you really don't swim until you get into the water. And yep. that's where you're going to start to realize that in that water can be undertow and it can be deeper than you thought it was. It can be colder than you thought it was. There's all sorts of things that can show up. So, you know, real estate's the same way. You can learn how to invest in real estate on YouTube, but until you get in the game, you do not know how to invest in real estate. Yes. Work with someone. Yeah. Find someone who's in it, like in the, in the RAIN network. Find someone and work with them. Ask them for help. When you look at your goals, perhaps your dreams, was teaching not big enough for you? Was it not uh, financially viable enough? Did you have bigger financial dreams? Will you go back to teaching? Kind of like, what's your thought process? Because you've got, to your point, you've got lots of creativity, you got lots of ideas, you have a ton of energy that you want to make those ideas go forward. Share your thought process because I, I always say, you know, Sadly, ideas are a dime a dozen. You have to be able to execute on them. And, and then you have to choose what ideas to execute. So what's your thought process, given your background of teaching, given your background in real estate, given your uh, creativity and the entrepreneurial spirit that you have, share with me some of your thought process of where you see yourself going forward, how you think on a day-to-day -day basis, how do you manage all those ideas? So I know it's a big question, but give me some insights into the thinking of somebody who's young and exuberant like you are. Well, thanks, Patrick. That's very polite of you to say. Uh, I do agree with you that not all ideas are feasible. I completely 100% agree with you. I, I love I love teaching. I love being an educator. It, it fills your life and soul in a way that is unexplainable. 
However, what I'd like to do is get to the point where I'm able to, as I mentioned earlier, to uh, work if I want to or not. I also know that I'm going to have a family one day. So I would, I do want to take my foot off the pedal and then just focus on possibly investing so that I could be home with, with my children. I think that's something that's very important for me. The other piece is, as I said, I, I, I may potentially work abroad. So if I do go abroad, I want to have a portfolio still going and that's still working while I'm, say, seeking other opportunities in education abroad. And one of the biggest reasons is that I, one thing I have been raised to know is that you will get older, you do need to have a pension, you do need to have a nest egg, and, and you need to have something to fall back on. And so it's important for me to have the portfolio, have the investing. And Patrick, I'm going to be honest, I like to spend money. Mm-hmm. So I, I like to travel. I, I like to have a bit of a more elegant lifestyle. And so this also helps me supplement my income. And that's something that's actually really interesting because people have asked me that all the time. And the, the truth is those, those are really the things that guide me. Those are kind of the pillars of it. And the, just that I like, I say it honestly, I like to spend money. I'm a lady that likes to spend. Mm-hmm. So what I love about this conversation is that, you know, what you've described is, you know, probably the dreams of many, you know, and yet you take action on it. You actually take that thought process, that dream, that vision, uh, owning the fact, okay, yes, I like to have, a, I want a better lifestyle. I want to spend money. I love supporting the, the community. Uh, there's a real cool aspect of you that is really interesting, and that is your love for teaching, your love for being a contribution. Now, it kind of as the uh, older, uh, wiser, and uh, somewhat wider individual on this call, you know, I definitely see uh, some real attributes of, of who you are and your character that really serves that fulfillment part of what you do. In other words, being a contribution, being significant, supporting other success, really, really important. And I mean, you've got that in spades. And when you're speaking with uh, other individuals, like, are you surrounded by like-minded individuals in your age group? Do you find that they're easy to find others in your age group? Or do you see lots of people who have great ideas and yeah, I want to, I want to do what you do, but they can't just seem to pull it off. Or what's your experience in that? Because we often in, just because we've coached thousands over the years and certainly as a Canada wide and nationwide business, we see it, we hear it. We go, yes. Like I've had these kinds of conversations with the Natasha's of the world many times, but they're not the Natasha's in the execution side of it. So share with me kind of what you see, how you surround yourself, how you support yourself. So Patrick, I am part of a lot of different investor groups and Mm -hmm. I run a women in investing and finance group uh, in Windsor. Mm -hmm. It's mainly run off of Facebook now. And uh, we have like some different messaging that we do obviously due to COVID. I attend virtual meetings. I, I attend a lot of things with investors. That's where I learn. That's the bread and butter of how I learn and go forward with that. I have friends who I talk to, people ask me about it all the time. Do they put the key in the ignition? Not all the time. There's a lot of possibly wanting to do it. And then maybe it's the fear of doing it. Sometimes I think that everyone has good intentions. They might not just get to the point where they're doing what they want to do because it isn't always easy and there are sacrifices that have to be made. Mm -hmm. And so one of those sacrifices is time. As much as, you know, I talk about this and that, this also takes a lot of time. There's time that I put into it. There's a lot of time learning. There's time with contractors. There's time with my handy person. There's time with my accountant, with my lawyer, with my paralegal. So all of those things take time. And sometimes I feel that often maybe in, in, I don't want to speak for my whole generation because I don't, I, I don't want to do that. But I think that a lot of times, as I said earlier, it's maybe marketed that it's going to be so easy, but actually until you really get going and until you've got like skin in the game, it's not that easy. It take, takes, takes time. And it's a lot of relationship building mm-hmm. because then, you know, there's that gradual release of responsibility so that you can 
let others do what they need to do who are on your power team. And then, you know, you're kind of just sort of like the umbrella. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense, Patrick? A hundred percent. You know, a hundred percent. You know, the, the thing about all of it is that, you know, I often ask the question, how hard should you work to make millions of dollars? And, you know, that's really what real estate is all about. That's really what uh, creating that future is all about as an entrepreneur. And in the world of real estate, the heavy lifting is up front, really finding the deal, building the team, doing that thing, getting that financing handled. And if you got the great property management, then it's just like, you know, it's like the flywheel. Once you get going, it, it, you know, you can keep it moving and yes, there's going to be bumps along the way. And, uh, you know, that's the education part of it. Set yourself up. And then of course there's always economies and the rest of it. But here's the thing I go back to. How hard should you, do you believe you need to work for, to make millions of dollars? Yes, real estate is, uh, it's, it's simple conceptually. It's just not easy. And that's a pretty common phrase in this world. And so what I like about and what I hear in what you're doing is your inspiration to do it. You have a reason, you have those goals, uh, you're fired up to do it. Natasha, you know, you've got a track record in terms of what you do in the world of real estate and the world of business. Tell me a little bit about your leadership. You know, I often ask the question of leaders, do you study it? Do you read about it? Do you, how do you take on leadership in terms of style? Tell me a little bit about your leadership in terms of how you do it. Are you really conscious of how you're being as a leader? And so you educate yourself on leadership. How is that for you? Well, in my role in education, I, I work with a lot of senior leadership. I would say that I've learned from some wonderful, wonderful people who are really so kind. And I would say that I'm more of a quiet leader. I like to let people do their best work. And I like to ask, say, probing questions and let them tell me what they're going to do. I do the same thing in my investments. When I have my handy person and he goes, I don't even go to houses anymore. They, the, the email or the requests come in and then I shoot them out. When he goes, he calls me and I say, what do you think we should do? How did this happen? What do you think is the next step? He tells me what everything he's going to do. And I allow people to do, I find for me personally, what I've noticed, I like to allow people to do their best work. Mm -hmm. If it's not done right, then I ask, how come that wasn't done properly? Mm -hmm. What I've learned from one of my mentors is hire the best people and they'll do their best work and pay them well. So in, in my business side, I do that. And you know what? It might cut into my budget, 50 bucks, hundred bucks. I don't care because my accountant puts that beautiful embossed shiny letter on my taxes and I'm good to go. When it comes to my work, I work with children, but I also work with teachers because of the role that I'm in now. Mm -hmm. So those are very different, but even with the kids, I let them do their best work because they grow into adults. They grow into the Natasha's and the Patrick's and the Chris and the Donna and the Cheryl's of the world. So we have to foster that in them, foster that leadership to come out of them. I always answer questions and I think that knowledge should be free. So when I get the direct messages, when people call me and ask me, you know, like my tenants doing this right now, what do I do? I always give advice freely because I feel that, you know, they need help, but then I will also move them towards people where, you know, that are experts that they will have to pay for their knowledge. Because, you know, when you're an expert, you have those 10,000 hours in it, you know, that's not free. Everybody's got a currency to pay in somehow. Mm -hmm. So I would say for me personally, I'm, I'm more of a quiet, a, a quiet leader. And I like people to do their best work. That's kind of how, how I am. I never oblige anybody to do anything because I think when you should all over somebody, you make them feel bad. Mm -hmm. Do you have a definition for success, Natasha? I mean, you're inspired. You keep moving things forward. Do you have a definition for yourself for success? For me, success is to see my family happy and to leave something for my family, to leave a legacy for my family. Unfortunately, 
my grandparents in the 80s, as you said earlier, governments will be governments, politics is politics. They lost a few properties and it really made them feel awful that they couldn't leave more. But I feel like even if even if you make them happy, something as simple today, I'm, I'm going to take my nephew out for shamrock shakes. That's success because he he's happy and I can afford to do that. And I can afford Patrick the time. Mm -hmm. I have more time now than ever. And mm -hmm. I'm, and I'm, I'm still cash flowing as they say, you know, mm -hmm. I feel for me, that's success is to see my family happy and to be able to give them, you know, time and, and have new experiences with them that are awesome. That's for me success. Now, when you look back, I mean, just in your, in where you are in your life today, have, have you had a fork in the road moment? Anything that you would identify as a fork in the road? It, it sounds like, you know, given your family background, your family history, your, your path was started to open up and got clear quite quickly. But was there a fork in the road moment where you went, where you had to make that decision and you look back on it and go, that was the fork in the road that got me here. Do you, do you have a, do you have a relatedness to that question, Natasha? Yeah, I've had a few. I've had a, I've had a mm. lot of hiccups. I've had a lot of hiccups. Holy smokes. I'm surprised I didn't even lose my first property because I bought it and then I got a job overseas. So I left and I didn't really know much. And I was doing silly things like the tenants wanted special salt for their dogs for you know, for snow. So I was doing some, I was doing some silly things, buying some really expensive salt. Then I, I sold my first property. I, I, was so ignorant. I didn't know, you know, I should have bird this. I, I didn't have the proper real estate agent. Then I spent all of last year in court. I mean, I've had some really, really interesting forks in the road that have been negative. But then when I look back, oh, when I sold my first property, the positive was I made three times what I paid for it. And then I scaled my portfolio to the max. So yes, I could have probably burned that house. I could have refinanced it. However, by selling it, I scaled probably three times what I would have just by refinancing. Sure. So I know you're, uh, we got some time frame. So as we start to kind of wind down this particular episode, I've uh, got some rapid fire questions I want to throw at you, Natasha. And uh, they always take a little extra time. Anyways, they're not, the questions are rapid fire. The answer is not so much. So given your you know, drive for success, given what you're going on. And do you have a, how do you look after yourself? How do you, especially, you know, given pandemic, how do you look after yourself? Have you got a self-care routine, a morning routine, evening routine, whether it be physical, emotional, spiritual, what is it for you? Patrick, I do. So I read every day, I work out and I spend a lot of time at the beauty salon, <laughs> a lot of time there. That's why yeah. I got to do the real estate. <laughs> You love <laughs> that's great. So that's one of the things you love to a do. A lot of time. Yeah, that's great. And and so, what kind of stuff are you reading? Um, are you reading real estate books? Are you reading uh, fiction, nonfiction? Do you have a? I'm going to ask you a little bit later, but do you have a a, a specific uh, kind of topic of books that you like to read? Yes, actually, like him or hate him. It depends on the investor uh, and God rest his soul, Stefan Arneo. Mm. I'm right now really plunged into a lot of his books. Uh, so the, the, the last one I just picked up is Strong, Weak Men Create Hard Times. Mm -hmm. So I just got that, actually got it off my sister. And I'm also uh, reading uh, a book that was suggested by him and it's the banking system, the banking system and the enslavement of mankind. Mm -hmm. So those are the two I got on the go. <laughs> iPhone or Android. I know they're not, it's not fun. That's, that wasn't, that's not fun. I should have said rich dad, poor dad, but I'm just too honest. That's all good. iPhone or uh, iPhone or Android. Android. And I really want clubhouse. <laughs> okay. So uh favorite swear word. And I say it in Arabic. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes that's worse, isn't it? Yeah, it's not going to be worse. You know, I like to say the F word a lot. F bombs. Yeah, most people yeah. like F bombs. It's pretty, well, you know, you know, I always feel like I've had many guests that go, no, I don't swear. <laughs> How is that possible? <laughs> that's great. Do you have a favorite okay. inspirational quote? 
Yes, I do. Actually, and it's, it's so funny. Today's St. Patty's Day. Many hands make life light work. Mm. What are you not very good at? I'm totally culturally taking this on. I come from Mediterranean heritage. And my parents are, my origins are from the coast. Like they're both, one's the Adriatic. And, and um, I can have a very fiery, fiery zero to a hundred very quickly. And I grew up in a home where everybody's talking over everyone. Even my nephew who's five, he's got to jump in too now. Even he talks loud and we just have really fiery personalities. And you know, Patrick, in our business, you got to be professional. You got to be, and I got to work. I work on it all the time. <laughs> okay. Can't so can't drop the F bomb on a tennis. <laughs> can't do that. <laughs> uh, if heaven exists, what do you want to hear God say when you get to the gates? You did a good job. Room, desk, or car? What do you clean first? My room. Do you have a favorite tune? Yes, I do. I do have a favorite tune. And it's by Tracy Chapman. Oh, oh my gosh, I forgot it. But anyways, Tracy Chapman. Is it an oldie? Yes. Mm. She has lots of good ones if you like Tracy Chapman. Do you have a favorite movie? Swept Away and not the new version with Madonna. Okay. Aside from what you've been reading, do you have a most impactful book that you've read? Does it have to be about investing or can it be about no. anything? What's your favorite book? So my favorite book is Madame Bovary, and it's a French book because I studied French literature. And I, I love the book because it, it, it's, in, it's interesting. It, it's interesting. I think it's very relatable. It's a woman who goes from rags to riches, but she doesn't really marry in her social class. And she always has that notion of, you know, this grandeur, visions of grandeur. And she, uh, she eventually dies never being satisfied. And I think that it's so applicable to the, what we see going on now. Mm, interesting. And Natasha, what are you grateful for? My family and my health, my family and my health. Beautiful. But mainly my family. Well, I am grateful to have met you and to oh, have hey, this conversation. And, me uh, too. I'm so grateful. So glad to have you on the and show today. And it's on St. Patty's Day. So it's, a success. <laughs> it's on St. Patty's Day. It's your day. special day. It's my special day. You know, nobody really makes it special, but uh, <laughs> I always have some laughs about it anyways. You got to get the shamrock shake. That's right. So, Natasha, thanks for joining me on the Everyday Millionaire podcast and uh, look forward to uh, getting together and speaking with you uh, a lot more in the future. It's my pleasure, and I hope so. I hope so. I hope so. Thank you, Patrick. You bet. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. If you found value in the podcast, please take the time to rate and review and share with others. Share with your friends. As it is my goal to always improve and to provide the highest value for you, the listener, if you have any comments, suggestions, or questions you'd like answered, please email me at ceo at raincanada.com. That's ceo at reincanada.com. I look forward to hearing from you. And until next time, Patrick out.